0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that the Lord Jesus taught that your word is truth and that your truth can set people like us free. So send your spirit now upon your people gathered that they might discern your truth and your truth would indeed free them through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Some verses from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, and verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said and I will make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. At once, immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Back in the 90s, when folks in the UK had plenty of money, our TV screens were on overload with programs promoting summer vacations, as you would say. Seems like there wasn't a corner of the globe that you couldn't visit if you really wanted to. Why, you could even get a vacation in Omaha, Nebraska. (laughs) Though not many did. How well I recall one of those programs when it came to the complaints section. An Englishman with some challenging weight issues, wearing a t-shirt that would have fit him in another life, was facing the camera with a picture of a wonderful hotel on it. It had three large swimming pools, plenty of empty sun lounges, and a signpost, as I recall, saying this way to the golf course. It looked great. And then the man held up a real-life photograph uh, to camera. And said, with a scary anger, and this photograph was basically a photograph of a building, construction site. He said to Kara, this is where we thought we were going, holding up the nice picture. And then he said, with venom in his voice, this is where we ended up. And I want my money back. Well listen, I travel all over the world speaking to Christians and often unbelievers everywhere I go. I meet believers who seem very passive about their faith. Believers who wonder if what they signed up for when they crossed the line and became <coughs> believers is actually what they're getting. Believers who we might say, metaphorically speaking, would like their money back. But the irony is, I've said to you many times, nobody intends to end up like that. Nobody starts the Christian life saying to themselves, you know what, a great outcome would be spiritual mediocrity. They recall a time when it all seemed so real, so amazing, so inspiring. And they imagined that they would do something mighty for God and his kingdom. And now they have become followers, well described by Thomas Hardy in his masterful book, Far From the Madding Crowd. When he describes the religion of the main character, Gabriel Oak, he calls him a man of Laodicean neutrality. Neither hot nor cold. And if you're that person, then our text is either going to terrify you, or it's going to ignite you. In one way, as they say, the choice is yours. I do not exaggerate when I say that in those few verses that I just read to you, is the outline of how you could become a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ in embryonic form. First off, you have to meet Jesus as those disciples of old did, and respond to his call. It is amazing to me that people warn the pews of churches year in, year out, in my country and in your country, and frankly don't get it. They are people who are still trying to earn their salvation. They don't get grace or anything like that. And somehow they're hoping silently that they've done enough when the time to leave this planet comes to get them into heaven. I remember J. John, the English evangelist, putting it very graphically when he said this, why would anybody pretend to be a Christian when they could be a Christian? You just have to look at Jesus on the cross of Calvary and his atonement for your sins and trust him. The amazing thing is, as I've said, that there are people who warm the pews of churches year in, year out and never even make that decision. And believe me, the Christian life without Jesus is an oxymoron. It's an impossibility. But this reading also tells us you have to commit yourself to earnestly following him. Christianity is not for the faint-hearted. Jesus said, if anyone would follow after me, let them take up their cross and deny themselves. There is no small print in the New Testament. You have to take your responsibility for helping others to find Jesus. You are meant to be witnesses. You have to bear the responsibility for understanding that when people know you are a Christ follower, some other people will make their minds up about God on the basis of what they see and hear in your life. And this story reminds us in a rather scary way. There is no substitute for serious commitment. Imagine that. In just a few verses of the Bible, all you need to know, plain and simple, I wonder if you've ever thought about this story like this, but Jesus walks up to some ordinary blue-collar workers and says, follow me. And amazingly, they did. And off the back of that reckless abandonment, a movement is born that has survived 2,000 years, has taken ordinary men and women like you and me and made some of them extraordinary, some of whom have gone to the far-flung parts of the planet to preach and to serve in the name of Jesus. And many of them lost their lives for what they believed in. Frankly, if we didn't know it was true, we would say it's unbelievable that the reckless abandon of those men, those early disciples, is part of the reason at least that I stand before you today and you sit here in front of me. So what can we learn as we struggle to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus? Are you sitting there thinking that you would like your money back, or would you be prepared to choose something a little different? Well, the first thing I need to say to you is this, and this is tough. Remember, when you say yes to Jesus, you have to say no to some other stuff. The Bible tells us these men left their nets behind them to follow Jesus. And wherever I look in the Old and New Testament, I see people who had to leave stuff behind in order to follow the call of God on their lives. Whether it's Abraham in the Old Testament who gave up the security of the good life he lived to go on a scary journey with a wife who was such a great age that it's impossible to believe that she could have a child, on the back of a promise that Abraham would become the father of the nation, and his children would be more numerous than the sand than the grains of sand. I think of men like Amos who gave up his career, at least briefly, as a shepherd to go preach the word of God. And I see people today who don't get this. I see people today who think that they can say yes to Jesus and sign up to some easy believism, which means that their life can just cruise on as normal. And there is nothing to give up. And of course, the model of Jesus of whom St. Paul said, being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant. If this Gospel reading teaches us anything, it surely teaches us that life as usual with a bit of religion thrown in is never enough. And while you strive under that basic misunderstanding, you will always, metaphorically speaking, want your money back. So let me ask you, if you said yes to Jesus, what have you left behind? What relationships, destructive relationships, do you need to let go of? What aspirations of yours that you hold have nothing to do with your faith whatsoever? And if you're going to go on with God, you need to let them go. What grudges and hatreds do you need to leave behind? What habits that have been formed in you, learned behavior as psychologists would call it, what learned habits do you need to let go of? you say to me, Mike, I can't do this. And if you mean you can't do this in your own strength, then I certainly agree with you. But if you ask for the help of the Holy Spirit, there isn't anything you can't let go of. And God wants to hear from you this morning. And if you ask, he will fill you with the most transformative power known on planet Earth and that has ever been known on planet Earth and ever will be known on planet Earth. You say yes to Jesus, you've got to say no to some stuff in your life. Second thing is, what this passage shows us is, it's no good saying yes but to Jesus. John Maxwell famously said, when people say yes but, no one ever hears the yes. And you need to know that when God hears you say yes but, he doesn't hear your yes either. Listen to me. God isn't looking for our ability. But God is certainly looking for our availability. He's not looking for reticent acceptance. No, he's looking for reckless abandonment to him. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. He's looking for men and women who will come to the point in their lives when they have had enough of their excuses and are sick of living a kind of religion that consistently reflects on whether or not an individual wants his or her money back. They're tired of living in the grey fog of half-commitment and are willing to wave a white flag and say yes to God. Not yes, but. Immediately, they left their nets and followed Him. Yes, Jesus, but. I'll avoid responsibility for doing something about my ailing marriage. Yes, Jesus, but I'll keep going with that sinful behavior that goes on when no one's looking. Yes, Jesus, but really doesn't work. But this narrative reminds us of something else that we are prone to forget. Something else I try to remind you people of this week, and that is faith involves risk. For those disciples had no idea what they were letting themselves in for. And my suspicion is, if they half knew what they might be letting themselves in for, they might not have signed up in the first place. For church tradition tells us that they were all martyred, all lost their lives for what they believed in. You know that old story of the high wire act Blondini who was a man who one day set a wire up over the Niagara Falls and decided that he would walk across it. And of course marketing people got hold of it, became a big occasion. As the big occasion came, Blondini unusually started to have some anxieties about whether he could do it. His manager whom he trusted and who was a close friend, he started to seek his counsel and would say to him, do you think I can do this? His manager would say, yes, he said, you know what, the wind can just whip up from nowhere at the Niagara Falls. Are you sure I can do this? The manager said, yes, you can do this. And the great day came and the band was playing and the big tightrope was swinging across the canyon. And Blondini got his balancing pole and decided just to make life simple that he would do it pushing a wheelbarrow across in front of him. He turned to his manager. And he said to him, do you really think I can do this? And his manager said, I am sure you can do this. And Blondini said, well, you get in the wheelbarrow. (laughs) T.S. Eliot wrote, only those who risk going too far can possibly find out how far they can go. Faith involves risk. Reticent acceptance. Or reckless abandon. Make no mistake. That's the choice in front of us today. And you might like to think about this during the season of Lent. Maybe you should start by asking yourself this question. Was Jesus fully invested? Or did he bail out? Did Jesus say yes but to God? Or did he just say yes? And though he struggled with that in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said yes. And God vindicated him. He could have bailed out on the most cruel method of execution ever devised by human beings. But no. He went through with it. That we might be saved from the dreadful consequences of our sin and be set free. Oh, oh, how I love the Savior's name. And if you truly believe that, what does it say to you? How can you be half-hearted? How can you be half-committed? How can you be passive? You know what I think God would say to us today? A while ago, I was in Uganda and we'd stayed one night, Anthony and I, on the concrete floor of a school on the edge of this awful displacement camp. 60,000 people camped out in the middle of nowhere no sanitation, no water nothing to eat and of course you know because I do what I do I was protected by members of the Uganda defense force you know these security guys crawling all around us and as we came to leave we were being kind of hustled away by these security guys and a woman grabbed hold of my leg And one of the terrible things is, you have no idea how much I hate this, but, you know, women in Uganda very often will only approach me on all fours. And she grabbed hold of my leg and she said, Bishop, thank you for coming to see us. I said, I don't don't know what to say, you know. She said, help us. I said, well, how can I help? The tears running down her cheek. She said, just do something. You know what I think God would say to us today, my friends? To those of you who are a little passive in your commitment, to those of you who are half-hearted, to those of you who are indifferent to the consequences of sin in your life. I think God would say, do something. Jesus calls us, oh the tumult. Of our lives wild restlessly. Day by day his clear voice sounded. Saying Christian follow me. Jesus calls us from the worship of the vain world's golden store. From each idol that would keep us. Saying Christian love me more. Jesus calls us. But who is listening? Let me end by asking you again my friend. Is this your moment? Is this week going to be a significant time in your life when the Holy Spirit speaks to you and calls you to a life of exhilarating white-knuckle, scary, but fruitful discipleship? Or is it just going to be business as usual for you? Sacrifice first or safety first? Reckless abandon or reticent acceptance? For as they say, dear friends... The choice is yours. Amen. Amen.